Sports Ethos New York Knicks podcast. Andre Galliber here to discuss an eventful weekend for the New York Knicks. You got the Boston Celtics breaking records, hitting every shot, shooting 50% or whatever it was. I don't even feel like looking at it. Absolutely ridiculous. Guess what? You just don't win those games. The Boston Celtics, without Al Horford, without Robert Williams, not they don't have the best record in the world. They're you know they're not hitting their stride the way they'd like to. But that was a game. Looking at it on paper, that you don't expect to win, but because of the injuries and you were playing at home, maybe you have a chance. You don't have a chance when the team shoots twenty-seven three-pointers. I believe it was. You don't have a chance. That's done. Twenty-seven of fifty-one. You just don't win that game. And you're looking at Twitter and guys are tripping out like the Knicks were in that game to the end of the game. They were there. They were right there. They had a chance. 27 of 51. You don't win that game. That's shooting lights out. And that's the second time we've seen the team shoot lights out against the Knicks. The Cavaliers did it as well. They shot lights out. You throw your hands up in the air over something like that. And that was a game that felt like a winnable game because of the injuries and the Celtics aren't necessarily looking like the Eastern Conference champions that they are. But they're still, Tatum is off the charts right now. Jalen Brown is better. They got Brogdon who looks sharp and healthy and crisp. That was gonna. That's a tough game for the Knicks to win on paper. And that's not a game you should have looked at going in thinking that they were going to win that game. So when they lost it and they were in that game to the bitter end with Boston hitting all those threes, there are no moral victories, but that's not something you complain about on Twitter. People tripping out. You lose that game. The only thing that you look at when you look at that game, what you're seeing is you're seeing a trend with the Knicks, a little bit more than a trend. The amount of three-pointers that they give up is way too much. Now, with that said, they don't give up a very high three-point shooting percentage, relatively speaking. But some of that is just luck when you're just giving up open shots all the time. Some teams are going to knock those shots down. And as I told you in a previous episode, the scouting report on, on the Knicks to me is very clear. Teams are being told, don't hesitate when that ball finds you. You're going to be open don't be afraid of their contest. Don't hesitate. Shoot like practice. Because these guys are real comfortable taking these shots. And everybody knows that everyone wants to show out when they come to the garden. And everybody knows that the garden's backdrop is real easy on shooters. Everybody knows that. And they come here and they light it up. Some of these teams, I should say. They light it up knowing they're going to get shots all day long. I believe they're dead last in opponents' three-point field goals attempted. Just giving up shots all day long. Now, some of those attempts are not open. That's the goal of the defense is to protect the paint and make offenses offenses spread out and shoot threes and then contest those threes. But they're not contesting a lot of those threes. They're giving up a ton of uncontested threes. And a lot of teams just aren't hitting them at a high field goal percentage. And the, and the Celtics, they did. The Knicks are bottom 10 
no, actually, it would be phrased top 10 in three-point shooting percentage, opponent three-point shooting percentage. That means that teams are shooting a low percentage, in other words, against the Knicks from three. But that's because they're getting a lot of shots and they're not making them. <laughs> it's not because the Knicks are contesting all of these shots to a high degree. They're giving these shots up, and some teams just aren't great three-point shooters. The Celtics are. The Hawks, they are. At least against the Knicks. Teams are going to come here, and they're going to they're put their best foot forward, and when the book is out on you that you're going to give up a, a bunch of three-point shots, teams are just, all right, I'll be your Huckleberry. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to knock him down. Hit or miss. Well, the Celtics hit. And we talked about this on the show before, and I told you this. The Knicks, last year, this was the same problem. They don't dig in the paint on penetration and spray back out. That's the wrong term. Shoot back out, hedge and recover to the shooters the way you want them to. Especially when the book is out that those shots are going to be there. These guys are not hesitating at all. You're not making them hesitate because you're not anywhere near them. But you saw a correction in the Timberwolves game. And I tweeted out, Obi Toppin was the first Nick ever <laughs> to hedge to, to hedge or fake, feign a hedge, feign a dig, and then stay home and wait for the passer to pass to the shooter. And he stole that pass. Anthony Edwards was driving to the basket. He acted like he was going to get there. And he really just took a step towards Edwards and then took a step back and then stole the pass out to his man. And you saw that a few times last night. You saw the Knicks not over-helping on penetration when there was someone in the paint already. There had to be recognition. And you saw the Knicks give up a few layups at the rim because there was a mix-up. Oh, somebody got beat. I'm not going to leave this shooter so readily. Somebody has to help at the basket, and that help wasn't there. Mitchell's hurt. Arnstein's good. Mitchell's a little bit better at doing it. But they weren't going to give up those shots the way they had been most of the season. There's a correction. And you have to give Tom Thibodeau a little credit. And this is what I talked about in the last episode. He adjusted. And he's been doing that since the Atlanta game because he needed to. I swear, I'm telling you, he got put on his head after, after that Atlanta game. And you've seen some changes. You saw Grimes get, get the start. Now he's injured. Cam is starting now. We're going to get into that later. But he's been making these adjustments and not taking forever and being stubborn about it like he's been in the past. I saw it. It was a subtle thing. At the same time, the Timberwolves aren't a heavy screen and roll team. You saw it a couple times, but they don't do it over and over like a lot of teams do. They did a lot of perimeter stuff, throwing it, trying to drive, kick it out. There wasn't a ton of screens, screens, screens like the Knicks face against a lot of teams. And, and usually that drop coverage is what gives up the corners. And then there's rotation, and if it's not the corner shooter, it's the wing shooter. Is usually the drop coverage where everyone starts to sink in, and they didn't have to do that against the Timberwolves very much. 
So we'll see if it's a little bit of smoke and mirrors. And the Timberwolves also didn't shoot very well. They got shots and they didn't shoot very well. But you saw, in my, in my observation, you saw the Knicks not dig at penetration quite as much as they typically do. Now, I saw RJ doing it too much, and I think that's going to continue to be a thing because I think he's very bad at it. I think he's very bad at hedging and recovering. He can he tries to contest very well, but he's contesting from too far away. So it doesn't make a difference. Like he, he tries to get out there, he gives a strong contest, but it's he was too far away. You you committed too hard. And I understand the defense on the drop coverage. You don't want guys coming off those screens with a head of steam, barreling down the paint, collapsing the defense. The Knicks, for the most part, they do a good job keeping guards from doing that. But the book on them is out. They trap the guards. They get the, they put the guards in jail, which means the guard is stuck behind the ball handler. They hold the guard off, get in the middle of the paint, and they put pressure on the center. And then that's when everybody starts digging, digging down on the perimeter, sinking away from the corners and the wings, and then they start kicking out, and these guys don't hesitate to shoot. So part of this is drop coverage. You didn't see it as an issue that much last night because the Timberwolves didn't run it that much. Part of what the Knicks want to do is to switch on a lot of screens, but that's the wing screens, the guard and wing screens. The Knicks will try to switch those, no problem. But when the center is involved, obviously they're not switching. They do the drop coverage. The guys get into the paint. Guys start digging in to help the center so the center's man doesn't get an easy layup. And then boom, it just lights out. It just lights out. Now, for the most part, like I said, the Knicks have been getting away with murder because the three-point field goal percentages for other teams is very low relative to the amount of, obviously, the amount of uh, shots that they give up. And the Knicks' defense is not nearly as effective as it's been in the past, and I think it's just because the book is out on them. I mean, the Knicks are worse. They're the worst team in the league when it comes to three-point field goals made against. The worst team in the league. The second worst. I mean... You can't win that way. And you saw that in the post game for the Timberwolves game. You saw uh, Julius Randle talk about how Derrick Rose was saying, hey, Thibodeau, Thibodeau gave you the green light. Everybody has the green light. You might as well take advantage. You took as many shots as the Celtics hit from three in that Celtic game. So the Knicks are going to take more threes. What's the problem with that? They're not good at it. They're 16th in three-pointers made. They're 11th in three-pointers attempted. But they're 22nd in three-point field goal percentage. They're just not good at it. What are you going to do about that? We're going to go into that in a little bit. They're not good at it, but they're putting it up. And all in all, the Knicks' defense is not terrible. Not as good as you'd like it to be because the league is getting crazy. The book is out. But they're second in opponent's field goal percentage. Second. And they're in the middle of the league in terms of wins at 5-5. Five and five. And listen to this. During the Minnesota game, they mentioned the Knicks were 25th in the league in three-point shooting percentage. Now they're 22nd. That's all because Julius Randle went nuts in this game from three. And I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on it because, listen, it was a nutty game from three. It was really crazy. I did notice that his release, his wrist, and his fingertips, they seem to be a little bit more aligned 
than normal for him. It could be in my imagination. I noticed it on his free throws, but I got to look at it closer because I told you, Randall shoots the ball off the side of his hand more than anybody else in the league, and I don't understand why. I mean, I do understand why he can't shoot. That's pretty much what it is. But most things are correctable if you understand what to correct, right? We've seen him make shots. Those threes last night, a lot of those threes, they were pure. Pure. For somebody who hits the side of the backboard and the side of the rim as much as he does, you know he's doing something wrong with his form. Maybe they corrected it, but I'm not going to sit here and spend a whole lot of time talking about Julius Randle like he's Larry Bird. He's not going to shoot 8 of 13 from three very often. And if he is, he can come here and tell me I'm a damn liar. I'm fine going out on that limb. But that's the difference between, it's early in the season, that's the difference between being 25th in the league in three-point shooting percentage and 22nd. A good game from Julius Randle and a good game all around from the Knicks shooting the ball, especially from the sharpshooter that is Obi Toppin. The Knicks shooter, sharpshooter, has taken over that mantle from Evan Fournier. But we'll go into that in a little while. But I want to talk about expectations. One of my earlier shows, I talked about expectations for this team. And I said this was a, a team that should be competing for the play-in, sealing maybe the bottom of the playoffs, pie in the sky, six seed or so. You're looking at the standings after 10, 12 games, depending on who you're looking at in terms of games played. A lot of the guy, a lot of the teams that are supposed to be high in the conference are struggling, the Brooklyn Nets being won. The next game the Knicks are going to play. We'll talk about that in a little while. And we all know that nonsense is going on with them. But all in all, the Knicks right now are sitting in the middle of the league in terms of wins and losses. And they played, I believe, five of the top ten best teams in the league. They've played them, including the Atlanta Hawks, a game that they should have won. And we talked about it being a disaster that they lost to them. Well, the Hawks are sitting at 7-3 and three right now. You already know my feelings on that game. 7-3. and three. The Knicks have had a tough schedule, and you knew that if you were a fan of this game. You knew the Knicks had a, a rough schedule, and they're still in the middle of a rough schedule, and you had no reason to think they would be a better team than they are right now in terms of uh, wins and losses. No reason. They're sitting here at 5-5, five and five, and if they had lost this game in Minnesota, a game that they probably should have lost if Gobert played, and even if Gobert didn't play, there's an argument to be made that the Knicks walking into Minnesota and beating them in the fashion that they did, it was unlikely. Minnesota's tra- talking about winning a championship. Now, they're the only ones talking about it, but that's that's their ceiling in their mind. Going by what they gave up to get Gobert there. The Knicks are not supposed to just waltz into Minnesota and whip them up. But they did, and they're sitting here at 5-5 five and five in the middle of the league in terms of wins and losses. In the middle of the league, what were your expectations for this team in the first 10 games? The Knicks are top 10 in scoring in this league. And you got to read guys like Zach Lowe making comments. I swear he wrote this in September. Just giving life to narratives. Low-hanging fruit. Talking about the lack of spacing with Mitchell Robinson and blah, 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 blah. You've heard people talk about this all summer with Jalen. The Knicks have a legitimate spacing issue. They do. But it's not because of Mitchell Robinson. 
He's not the only center in the league that doesn't shoot threes. There are plenty of them. And those teams are high-scoring teams too. Stop making this about Mitchell Robinson not being a shooter. Ridiculous. Hartenstein is supposed to be able to hit a, hit a shot. He's shooting worse than Julius Randle is right now from three. On, on much lower volume. Of course. The Knicks are 10th in the league in scoring. And if it wasn't for that Atlanta game, they'd probably be higher. As a matter of fact, they would be higher. Because they were 10th in the league in scoring before that game. And then they fell to 15th. Obviously, we're dealing in very small sample sizes right now. So for this team that has all their spacing issues, for this team that's not that good, and this guy's not that good, they're 10th in the league in scoring. They're 5th in the league in field goals made. They're 13th in pace. And you know that's not Thibodeau's strong suit. They're 13th in pace. And again, small sample size and also has an outlier game in there where the Knicks couldn't score. Zach Lowe waited until the Knicks had a bad offensive game so he can sing this narrative about how terrible the players are and his spacing is. And Tom Thibodeau, fire Tom Thibodeau. He's not the only one that he's, I don't even think he said it, but people have been saying, fire Tom Thibodeau. They're 5-5 five and five and they're not supposed to be. With this schedule. I shouldn't say it's not supposed to be. That's that's the best that was going to be. And I told you they needed to show growth from top to bottom. The coaching staff, player development. You want to see these guys actually get better. Told you that from the beginning. Because that's all you're going to do here. Because you're not winning a championship with this team. So stop grading them on a championship scale. This is not a finished product. This, this team is playing out Julius Randle's contract, trying to build up his value, and trying to win as game, many games as, as they can with the team that they have because they want to be competitive. You can argue that mindset if you want to. That's fine. But that's what it is. They want R.J. Barrett to keep getting better, and, and he's either going to be the foundation for, for the team going forward, or he's going to be moved for someone else. That's what we're looking at. They want Grimes to get better. Quickly, top him. And they want to win while they're doing it. You can argue whether or not that's a good idea all you want. That's not the point. The point is, don't be mad at the team that's supposed to be 500 for being 500. The Knicks are the only team in the league that have a plus minus of zero. They are the most 500 team in the league. And if you're a Knicks fan, you need to look at this team and say to yourself, you know what? RJ's just now playing well. Julius Randle has not been playing well, relatively speaking. If you're watching it, you can't just look at his numbers because he's 45% from the field right now. If you're watching it, he's not always playing well. He has stretches of time where he's playing well in the game, and he has stretches of time where he's just looking like a doofus taking silly shots. And that's why the Knicks are up and down. But they're more up than down, and they're not supposed to be. They're going to look inefficient sometimes. They're going to look bad sometimes during the game, and they're not even looking bad most of the time. Tenth in the league in scoring. I'll keep saying it. This team is 20th in field goal percentage. 20th. They're not shooting well. Why not? Well, you can just say simply, they have no superstars. We all know this. They're not a high-end talented team. They're not. You knew this. Why are you trying to fire the coach? What more did you want from this team? You're seeing it. And you're seeing the coach get better and better. You're seeing him not make the same mistakes he's been criticized for. He started Jericho Sims. And if you're watching the game, you're thinking, why is he starting Jericho Sims? 
And then you hear Jericho Sims is from Minneapolis and his whole family's there. And he's a nice kid. He's a nice, humble kid. And you're like, I know Tom Thibodeau did not start Jericho Sims in a game that every game the Knicks have to win. He's playing for his job. He's coaching for his job. I know he didn't start Jericho Sims because this is his hometown. I know he didn't. But that's what people are thinking when they're seeing that. Because why would you start Jericho Sims? You know why he started Jericho Sims? The same reason why he started Grimes. Because the combination of Quickly, Hartenstein, and Obi, they have the highest net rating on this team with any three-man combo with at least 100 minutes. Tom Thibodeau did not want Hartenstein to start and mess up what was working with that second unit, one of the most potent second units in the league. His best chance to win is to keep combinations together that are successful. And you hear him talking about that all the time, about mixing it up, putting combos. You're hearing him say that. He, net rating, is his most valued stat. He has said this. Those three guys playing together... That is a high-powered combination for this team. That was an outside-the-box move that nobody expected him to make. Hartenstein's been playing very well for this team. His net rating is pretty decent. It's pretty high, actually. Nine rebounds a game. One and a half blocks. Good floor game. You would think he's going to move right into that starting lineup, but no. Mm -mm. Quickly, OB, Hartenstein. Let's keep that combo together. Because that's our best chance to win is to keep combos together that win. That outscore the other team and defend. When you throw Rose in that mix, you're right behind it. Now you're talking about a four-man combo that's coming off the bench that's leading your team in that rating. You don't break that up. It's a mistake. We'll take our chances with Jericho Sims and the guys who have zero and negatives and two net ratings. Because the starters, they just aren't, they just aren't outplaying people for the most part. And we all know that Jalen, he's been very good. He's been everything and more. Don't don't say different. He's been everything and more. You can nitpick about defense or this, that, and the other. Everything and more than what you expected. RJ started the season off, off slow. You already know about Julius. Mitchell's in foul trouble all the time. And Evan Fournier got put on the bench. And that enters the next guy. A guy we've talked about on this show a thousand times. Cam Reddish. He wasn't Cam Greenlight Reddish last night. He came in and the same thing against Boston. He didn't come in thinking he had to fire every shot, being ultra aggressive offensively. He just came in and defended. And if he does that, he is going to find his way offensively. I believe that. There are a zillion Cam Reddish combos on this team that have good net ratings, great net ratings. They just don't have a ton of minutes, obviously. Because he just now got the starting job. Cam Reddish is not giving that starting job up. He has the highest plus minus on the team. Believe it or not. Quickly and Hardenstein had the highest net rating. Cam Reddish is playing for his defense. And we talked about it a few episodes ago. I told you he was going to get playing time just for his defense. Just watching him in preseason. What I did not think is that he was going to be the starting shooting guard because of his defense. I didn't see that coming. He's not giving that up. Because of his net rating and plus minus, his defense is changing the game right now. He's making them a better unit because of his length, his aggression in the passing lanes. He's handsy. He's not making as many mistakes. And he's contesting hard on jumpers. 
Fournier, on the other hand, I can't wait for the day that he doesn't play anymore. Can't wait. I'm, I think Fournier is just biding his time till December when most teams start trading. Most teams aren't trading around this time. They start trading once, once that December 15th deadline hits when guys who were signed over the summer become available. And usually it gives a good sample size for teams to know what they're dealing with, what they have and what they don't have. I think Fournier is out there. I think his mind is somewhere else. He's just half the speed of everyone else when he's out on the court. He makes some good plays. So let's not be crazy about it. But he's just half the speed of everyone else. And he gets a steal here and there. It's just a weird feeling when you see him out on the court. It just seems like he's out of place. Expectation-wise, you're looking at a starting lineup where Randall is not playing well consistently. RJ started the season off slowly. And if you dig into RJ's numbers, you start getting into some weird places because you're looking at RJ who started to play well, but his plus minus and net rating, they're not that they they're probably a little bit worse. They're actually a little bit worse than they were when he was shooting terribly. It's a weird little issue and it feeds into something I've been toiling over with RJ. Not all 20 points are the same. RJ needs to be he has to be a guy the Knicks can go to for offense. He can't just be a guy who finds his offense randomly. And that's kind of what you see with RJ's. He finds his offense randomly outside of the kickout three and maybe attacking the hard closeout off the weak side uh, ball rotation. You don't see many plays run for him where he's efficiently scoring. And that's what you kind of need from someone in RJ's position on this team. And I feel like the fact that he's kind of Instead of being a producer in the half court, specifically, he's more of a beneficiary where things are being made to happen for him. It's not 100% true, but I think it's true too much for him. He has to be able to create more for himself in the half court. He does it in secondary transition a bunch, and that's a, a big plus for the team. But in the half court... They need to be able to go to him for offense, and it doesn't feel like they can do that consistently. And what ends up happening is Randall starts to do his thing where he's ISOing and posting up and, and all around taking bad shots. So now you're not getting consistent offensive flow from your two from two of your main scorers in the half court. And they need that for that starting unit to be more effective. If you look at it, the Knicks have three 20-point scorers right now. R.J., Julius, and Brunson are all sitting at 20 points per game right around, rounded up, 19 and change, 19.7, somewhere around there. Coming into the season, somebody suggested that you would have three 20-point scorers on this team. I'd be like, no, you know, Jalen's going to maybe be at 16. R.J.'s going to be at 20, you know. Julius might be a little tick, a tick below. You know, he's going to take less shots. All these guys are at 20 points per game. Three guys on your team at 20 points per game. Why doesn't it feel that way? Well, one, you have your head up your butt because they're 10th in scoring. Two, they're not very efficient. And that's a legitimate issue, except for Brunson, who's at 50% shooting. He's only shooting, I think, 27% from three. You know, you definitely want to see that get up to mid-30s. But RJ's improved his shooting. You want to see that trend continue. Julius went from 2% three-point shooting percentage to 33% in one game. It doesn't feel like you have a high-powered offense because these guys aren't efficient 
right now. And I think schematically they can improve a little bit. But again, this is what it looks like when you don't have superstars. So what curve are you grading this team on when you look at them? You really should be looking at this team being happy that they're entertaining you, rooting for them to win, but when they lose, hey, you know what? Win manana. You really want to see OBRJ quickly and Grimes eventually get better. And now that Cam's in the mix, you want to see Cam get better because if he's going to be a two-way player, right now he's not a two-way player. He's just a defensive player. He's shooting 40% from three, but I don't want to hear anybody tell me. I don't want to hear anyone tell me about Cam shooting 40% from three. It's, it's low volume for the most part, and he takes terrible threes. He just makes some of them sometimes. Cam's going to have to be a little bit more consistent getting open shots, and that's not all on him. And knocking him down for me to be talking about Cam being a 3 and D guy right now. He's not. But I think it'll come. He's a knucklehead still on offense. He doesn't know which way to, you don't know which way he's up yet. But he's not being aggressive, so it, it's not hurting the team. Because he's not, he's not being too passive, and he's not being overly aggressive with the silly shots. So you're getting good floor game from him when he's in that place. At least you did the last two games. And he's working very hard. You, as a fan, should be looking for growth from quickly and OB, and you're seeing that sharpshooter OB shooting 40% from three. Don't leave him on high volume. There's nothing you can say anymore. He's a shooter. We talked about this. The best shooter on the team. Fournier's just not doing it enough. He's shooting He's shooting from deep. You can't leave him open. You can't give him a window. He's going to knock it down. Fournier gets chased off his shot all the time because of his reputation. Obi's earning that reputation now. And you're looking at the plus minus on the team. You're looking at the net ratings and the combos that are working. Obi's a big part of it. Obi has to play more minutes than we all know it. And it's only because of Mitchell's injury that you're seeing this Julius Obi combo out on the court. And you're seeing Obi for the most part and Julius give him credit because Julius does good things on the court, even though we talk mess about him. You're seeing Obi. Work hard on the things that he is bad at, as and, and that's the reason why that lineup is ineffective sometimes, or it has been. He's not a great rebounder. He's not the toughest guy in the lane in the paint. And you're seeing him try to work hard on that. He's not the best defender in the world, but he has potential to be a much better defender than he is. And you're seeing, you saw that last night against the Timberwolves. When Mitchell comes back, God knows what that's going to look like. But the winning lineups for this team often have Obi in him. He has to play more minutes. You got him playing 15, 20 minutes a game, and he's doing all of this. He's averaging 10 points a game. He's doing all of this on, on low minutes. He needs more minutes. And you got to figure that out if you're Tom Thibodeau. But you know what? He has to figure out how to win, and he's doing that. He's doing that at the rate and at the pace that he was supposed to do it at. To stop acting like he's, he's underperforming with this team. He's not. Grimes hasn't even played in... Listen, we should all be in panic mode about what's going on with his foot. You should all be in panic mode because this is terrible at this point. He can't stay on the floor. He's always he's sore, he's hurt, whatever it is. You don't know what the problem is. Grimes was one of the prized players, the prized prospects on this team. They didn't want to trade him away. And he hasn't even played. Imagine if he actually gets healthy and starts to play for this team. They could actually be better than they are right now. Throw Julius's shooting percentages out and say he's just going to be bad. RJ's getting better. Brunson has been good. He's been great. 
Cam only has offensive potential to to reach. You haven't seen it yet. This is a guy who's dropped 30 points in playoff games. You haven't even seen everything this man can do. Things are looking up for this team, even though they have a tough schedule. And you have to understand that a tough schedule is going to mean some losses. You have to understand that it's going to it's going to round itself out when they start playing some of the weaker teams, quote unquote, weaker teams in the league, because nobody looks real weak right now. And that brings us right to the Brooklyn Nets game. And a friend of mine, I was talking to him last week. I said. They got a rough schedule. They got to play the Nets. And he's like, well, the Nets aren't good right now. The Nets are always good when it comes to the Knicks. And in the last three games, I believe the Nets have one of the best defenses in the league in the last three games. Defense was a problem for the Nets, right? Kyrie gets sent home because of his nonsense. Nash gets sent home. Jock Vaughn is a coach. And all of a sudden, this team has been playing good defense in the last three games. Very good defense. They lead the league in blocks, I believe. If they're not first, they're right right there. The Knicks lead the league in or or they're right at the beginning or right at the top of the league in points in the paint. And the Nets are right at the top of the league in shot blocking. Right now, they're a good defensive team with the personnel they're putting on the floor, Sands Kyrie, and Sands Ben Simmons, who even though he came back last game is on a minute restriction, there are stories coming out. That the, the Nets are just unhappy with Ben Simmons across the board. And his defense has not been a plus for them. They're a better defensive team without him, is the belief, on that team right now. So the Knicks are, are going into a game against the Nets with a old notion at this point that the Nets are just had this just hapless disaster of a team that's just waiting for somebody to beat up on them. When in reality, they're playing inspired basketball and playing more defense than they did before. That makes them a dangerous team to play, especially for the Knicks in the Battle of New York. I don't like this game. I think this is a game the Knicks are going to lose. And it's going to be, if they win it, I'll be shocked. They have no answers for Durant. They have no one. Actually, Hartenstein might be able to push Claxton around a little bit. But that's not going to, it's not going to be a significant enough of a matchup to be a plus for the Knicks. The Knicks bench should do well against the Nets bench, but they have KD. If the game is close, if if it's anywhere near close in the fourth quarter, they have no answers for KD. They have no answers for him. So I don't like this game for the Knicks. It looks like, to me, it looks like a bad matchup for them. You know, Brooklyn is always looking to beat the Knicks. Seth Curry is coming back. He's working his way back. He came back last game. Ben Simmons is probably probably not going to play that many minutes. It's a winnable game, don't get me wrong, but it's a game that I don't feel good about for the Knicks. So I'm not going to flip out if they lose it because I understand this is not a championship team. This is the team that's going to win some or lose some. And I want to see, all I want to see is I want to see growth from the guys that might be the foundation of this team going forward. And I want to see growth from the coach that might be here. But the media is important. Narrative is important. You want to win these games, I just... It's a bad matchup. If they win it, to me, I'm impressed. I'm impressed. No one else is going to be impressed, but I'm going to be impressed. To me, this is a solid game if they win it. It's a solid win. I don't care. The Nets are going to be it's going to be a terrible loss if the Knicks lose it in terms of the media. And it's going to be a nothing win if they win it. It's, it's a no-win scenario for the Knicks. I don't love it. I, they, they don't have any – they have to go – Jericho Sims is going to have to guard – KD a little bit. 
That's gonna be hard. That's gonna be hard times. They don't have enough people. Julius is gonna get in foul trouble. Obi's gonna get in foul trouble. They don't have anybody to guard him. There's no. There's nobody on his roster. Cam. 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 I don't, if I, if Cam does anything to stop KD, I'll be shocked. Gonna be KD all day. Another player that has a bone to pick and wants to embarrass the franchise every chance he gets. But I like the way these guys are playing. They play with a lot of heart. They play with understanding that that's the way it's going to be. But listen, for an average shooting team or below average shooting team, you want them taking those three-point shots. You want them taking good three-point shots. But you also have to understand. You have to understand they're not going to make most of them. So you want them to improve defensively. So if you're looking for something in this game, you want to see if they have corrected over-pursuing penetration from the perimeter. Because that's going to be the litmus test. If they can slow that down and get to shooters just a half a second sooner than they have been, and they make shooters uncomfortable, then they'll be a much better defensive team. And the way they're scoring, even with the inefficient shooting from multiple players who are taking a lot of shots, the way that they're scoring is going to propel them to victory against most of the teams in the league. So imagine if RJ continues to shoot the way he is and Randall could just be average. Everything you get from Cam is just the cherry on top. You got an untapped resource of offense. He's literally doing nothing offensively. If he gets turned on, this team, their prospects, they look different, especially if Grimes returns. So that's how I'm looking at it. How are you looking at it? You going to be like Zach Lowe? Talking about the spacing for a top 10 scoring team? Or are you going to be a fan who understands that this is not the most talented team in the world in terms of high-end talent, but they can win some games? If you're going to be a fan who doesn't want them to win games, then don't watch. Don't watch. Don't You, you can't watch and root for them to lose and then be mad that they're losing. Like, what, what are you doing? But either way, I'm enjoying the season so far. I'm enjoying doing the show. Please give it a listen. Give it a like. Check out sportsethos.com. Follow at sportsethos on Twitter. Follow at ethosnicks on Twitter. I'm tweeting during the game. Join the conversation. I can't wait for it. Until next time.